What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. The only, I think it's the only daily NFL podcast out there. We are the only daily NFL podcast out there. I am Will Brinson. I am your host. Thank you for listening, as always. You won't believe this. Actually, you will believe this because it happens every time. But um, I recorded a great episode with Frank Schwab of Yahoo Sports where we broke down our best bets, took a 1,000 quote-unquote fake dollars, and spread it out across as many uh, bets, season win totals, prop bets, you know, for the for the NFL season, bets that we want to do that would cover the full season. And um, as soon as we recorded that, the news broke that Jameis Winston is actually going to be suspended. Now, we knew Jameis Winston was going to be suspended, but there's a lot of complex layers with this. Uh, in addition, Jerry Richardson was fined 2.75 million by the, by the league, uh, for his role in that investigation. So in lieu of, in lieu of just adding a topper, uh, what we're going to do today is talk about Janus, talk about Jerry Richardson and the Panthers. And then I've got Minka Fitzpatrick, Miami Dolphins rookie. Uh, I don't call him a cornerback. I mean, I guess he is a cornerback, but he plays safety, he plays corner, can stop the run blitz. Pretty little fun, quick conversation with him that we'll throw on the back end. So it's probably be a shorter episode today. Don't worry about that. I'll ramble for a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hit that interview up. And now let's talk about Jameis. And then next week, the plan is, of course, to have an episode for you on the 4th of July. Um, not entirely sure what the order will be. I think right now, We'll go with Frank on Monday. That'll be a longer episode, just if, if that matters to you. I think it's 45 minutes or so, um, just if you want to plan ahead, get stuck in traffic or something like that. And uh, and then we'll have Bryant McFadden back on on Monday. And then we also have a conversation with D'Antonio Burnett, who is the NC State strength and conditioning coach. I sat down with the Thunder Dan, played um, – he's like my age. He played um, – Back in, I think he started at NC State in 99. And I sat down, I was curious about some of the stuff they're doing from a training perspective and was absolutely blown away by some of the stuff that, that he broke down. It's a modern kind of game changing uh, approach to strength and conditioning for these college kids. And he also is broke down, um, you know, what they, uh, what he thinks of these, some of these NC State rookies. You got Naheem Hines with the Colts. You got Bradley Chubb, uh, with the Denver Broncos. Um, Justin Jones with the Chargers. BJ Hill. BJ Hill was actually there when I interviewed him, uh, but he was too busy working out to talk to me. And, um, and so, and so we'll talk to him, but I, I run that next week. That might end up having to be after the 4th of July, but, but you'll have a full week episodes next week, of course. Um, today, Again, we'll do Jameis and all of that. Uh, for beer purposes, I got a brewery Bavana Grove double IPA. This thing is, it's, it's liquid. It's, it's like a, it's like orange juice in a can, except it's got an 8% ABV. It's delicious. Um, highly recommended. Hard to get, but if you're in the Raleigh area, do that. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I was thinking about this. I don't know if anybody, if you're, if you're local or not. And if for traveling, if anybody ever wants to do like a tweet up or a, or a podcast meetup, holler at me and let me know. I was thinking about maybe trying to do like a live episode somewhere in Raleigh with Chip Patterson as a, maybe a testing ground or somebody, maybe get Adam Gold or something like that who's local here. But so if you'd be interested in that, tweet me and let me know. Um, I think it would be, uh, fun to do, but I don't want to do it unless there's any interest. Put me to go stay to beer and do it or something like that downtown, drink some beers. Anyway, for those who don't live here, you're wondering what I'm rambling about. Let's talk about 
Roku, a thing that you should purchase. I'm not even playing around. Roku is sponsoring this particular podcast, but I cannot stress enough how much I personally love Roku. When we went to the Canaan's and down to the beach with my in-laws three straight weeks away from my house, we had the Roku stick traveling with us and we plugged it in to our, the TV in our room because you can do that. All TVs nowadays, if you, if you bought it within the last 10 years, has an HDMI plug and Roku is basically like a giant USB thing. You plug into the back, into the HDMI port, you plug it into a power source, you hook it up to Wi-Fi, bing, bang, boom, you fire up the remote and you can access Netflix, you can access Amazon Prime, you can access Nick Jr., Diz Jr., that's what we were doing. I was watching a bunch of BoJack Horseman down and uh, down in Cameron Brack, that was not something I expected to be doing, but a nice way to wind down when I was done watching LeBron get blasted by the Golden State Warriors. So I highly recommend that you purchase a Roku. It's got the free CBS Sports app on there. You can watch CBS Sports HQ, the best live streaming sports app on the Internet. And, of course, you can access over 500,000 available movies and TV shows across free and paid channels with Roku's app. Check it out. Uh, just twenty nine ninety nine for the basic player. Spend a little bit more, get a higher end player, stream four K uh, with HDR. Roku, Roku makes an awesome gift for somebody. Maybe just give somebody a gift over uh, over the Fourth of July. Why not? So visit Roku dot com. That's R O K U dot com to learn more and start streaming today. Okay. So the James Winston thing. Uh, again, like this news came out about two o'clock that Jameis was actually going to be suspended for three games. Ian Rappaport of NFL Media works for NFL, the NFL, um, had it first with a statement from Jameis Winston and it's kind of complex on a number of different levels. So I'm going to try and dive into it. Um, it, from a couple of different angles. One, it's, it's weird because when you look at what the NFL said in their letter, in their release, their statement to the media and to the public about the Jameis Winston suspension. It says, in his letter advising Winston of the suspension, Jones stated after full consideration of the record, including a meeting with Winston and his representatives and a written submission by his attorneys that the driver, the Uber driver's account of the incident was consistent and credible. In other words, the NFL is saying what the Uber driver alleged, that Jameis was in the Uber in a drive-thru and grabbed her crotch in the in without her asking him to do it, is consistent and credible. As a result, the investigation had concluded that Winston violated the personal conduct policy by touching the driver in an inappropriate and sexual manner without her consent and that disciplinary action was necessary and appropriate. In other words, the NFL concluded very clearly that Jameis Winston committed an act that, that qualifies as sexual assault. And I mean, I, I don't, you know, it, it's pretty obvious when you start to look at the, you know, the actual personal conduct policy that this action falls squarely under what the personal conduct policy allows for, for a punishment of six games. Um, specifically, this from the personal conduct policy, sexual assault involving physical force or committed against someone incapable of giving consent. I mean, let's all agree that that, that meets the standard for what we're talking about. Um, comma, a first offense will subject the offender to a baseline suspension without pay of six games with consideration given to any aggravating or mitigating factors. Jameis Winston admitted to doing this. He's done nothing um, to mitigate what he did. 
In fact, if anything, you could argue that Jameis took a year to actually tell the NFL about this. Additionally, if you go back and read Jameis's statement from November of 2017, he says a news organization, this was BuzzFeed at the time, has published a story about me regarding an alleged incident involving a female Uber driver from approximately two years ago. The story falsely accuses me of making inappropriate contact with this driver. I believe the driver was confused as to the number of passengers in the car and who was sitting next to her. The accusation is false, and given the nature of the allegation and increased awareness and consideration of these types of matters, I am addressing this false report immediately. At the time of the alleged incident, I denied the allegations to Uber, yet they still decided to suspend my account. So Jameis Winston, if anything, has aggravating circumstances in that he flatly denied this to the NFL and attempted to say that he did nothing, and he sent that public statement out um, as the NFL was beginning to investigate it. He he didn't self-report, which the personal conduct policy requires. He and the Buccaneers were supposed to go to the NFL and say, hey, look, um, this happened just to let you know that this is the case. He didn't do that. Um, the NFL lists possible, and again, Possible aggravating factors may warrant a longer suspension. Possible aggravating factors include, but are not limited to, a prior violation of the personal conduct policy. Jameis does not have that. Similar misconduct before joining the NFL. Jameis does have that. Now, you can say that Jameis was neither convicted, um, you know, Jameis wasn't convicted in, in college of uh, a, an alleged, alleged sexual assault against him. And that, that is true. But the, again, the NFL personal conduct policy does not require charges and it does not require conviction. It, it just generally requires that the NFL thinks you might've done something and being involved in a sexual assault allegation before college, you know, when you were in college and then subsequently being involved in a sexual assault allegation with an Uber driver, when you got to the NFL, even if it was after your first year and even if it was two years prior, um, flies in the face of uh, – th- th- this is a perfect storm for what the NFL would want to do with its, its – and I'm using domestic violence policy as a, a larger shield. This is a perfect storm for what the NFL wanted to do when it enacted the new domestic violence policy, which is also the personal conduct policy now, in in the wake of the Ray Rice stuff. The goal was to take guys who are being creeps and guys who are being violent and guys who are are mistreating women and to punish them sufficiently in – Whereas in a situation before that didn't happen, you know, you, it was the rare case where a guy like Ben Roethlisberger got six games and then reduced to four. And so the NFL said, we're going to step it up. And, and they haven't done that. Um, you know, Michael David Smith at Pro Football Talk tweeted recently that, uh, you know, Josh Brown got, uh, two, one game, right? For making threat after threat at his wife. Jameis Winston gets three games. Tom Brady got four games for, for deflating Footballs are being generally aware that he deflated footballs. And really the only guy that stands out as someone who served the full six games was Ezekiel Elliott last year. And don't forget that the NFL took millions of dollars in legal fees, took months and months of offseason time and pursued to the literally almost to the highest court in the land and it, 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 to ensure they pursued the, the legal remedies to ensure that Ezekiel Elliott would miss the full six games. Now, there was probably some juice there between Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell. That's fine. Might explain why some of this happened. Um, 
but they they took they took the entire all season, dropped the hammer on him with the investigation, and then made him you know squirm for most of the year. Jameis Winston is not appealing. You know he's he's not going to deal with that, and and you have to think that perhaps the NFL sees this as an opportunity to avoid a, a nasty appeal process. You know, I I guess. I mean, maybe the NFL wants a situation where it doesn't have its legal authority in the CBA and Roger. And, and look, here's the NFL is trying to ride this out as long as possible. It wants very badly for to give up Roger Goodell's judge, jury, executioner power in the next CBA. So they need to make it like three more years. So they don't mind sort of buy. I mean, you have to think they won't mind. You get Jameis for three games. You don't deal with an appeal process throughout the entire offseason. You don't deal with him fighting and fighting and fighting for his innocence, which he, he already gave up on. But he didn't He didn't give it up. He said he hadn't admitted to any guilt. He just simply apologized to the Uber driver for, for making her uncomfortable or something like that. Um, the, the whole thing just reeks of poor planning, poor politics, and poor PR from the NFL. I, I, don't, I don't know. Why? I mean, the only two reasons why they would do this, why they would give Jameis three games when he's basically admitted to guilt, and, and bearing in mind that they could extend it to more than three games if Jameis does not complete counseling or does not complete um, the necessary treatment programs that, that he's subscribed to by counseling, uh, or prescribed to, excuse me. The, the only two reasons that the NFL would do this, one – Maybe it wants to cover up the Jerry Richardson stuff because nobody's going to be talking about Jerry Richardson for the next week. Um, you know, there's a holiday in the middle of the next week. They, they, this is the old model thinking for timing of when you drop news. It, it doesn't work like that in the digital age. People are talking about stuff well into the night and well through holidays. I mean, you, know, you can kind of get a little reprieve for 4th of July in the middle of the week, but let's be real. It's, you're not going to get out of it. Um, and then two, the NFL wants it to, to simmer back down and believes that if it stays quiet about this stuff, it can simmer back down. In other words, if it just takes the blow now, the PR hit now and just deal, it's like the anthem stuff, right? The, the NFL is going to make the players stand for the anthem or be in the locker room. And it enacted that policy and there was a lot of screaming about it for a week. And then it's sort of gone away for a little bit, right? It's not going to be a thing all off season. Well, that's going to be the case with Jameis too, because he's taken his punishment. There's not going to be any court dates. There's not going to be any appeals hearings. He's taking the L he's eating the L and he is going to miss the first three games. He's not admitting guilt, but he is apologizing. And apparently that was part of it. So it's a ham fisted way of putting a PR spin on a situation that should be dealt with a lot more earnestly. Like the NFL should be suspending. The NFL should be fighting to suspend Jameis Winston six games and actually utilize the policy that was designed to protect, protect people outside of the realm of the NFL and to, and to punish people who, you know, abuse their power as, as members of the NFL. And so that's really disappointing that this is the one time the league doesn't care about fighting it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's looking for a good spin. So that that's extremely disappointing. I, I don't know if there's anything anybody can do about it. I mean, he's going to miss three games, 
and then he's going to be back against the Bears in week four. They play, we've been over this. They play the Saints in week one on the road. They were seven point dogs to begin with. Now they're going to be 10 to 14 point dogs. I would imagine without Jameis Winston, I don't believe that that line is up yet. I'll look for you right now and tell you, but I mean, I would guess it's going to be uh, 10 plus points. And, you know, they're probably going to lose to the Eagles at home. They are probably, yeah, that line's not back up yet. They're probably going to lose to the Steelers at home, and they're probably going to be 0-3, maybe 1-2. and um, You know, when week four against the Bears in Chicago rolls around, they could be 0-4 heading into the week five bye. Dirk Cutter's job isn't safe by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't think Jameis Winston's job is safe. If the Eagles, I mean, if the, if the Buccaneers do come out and – win games early. If they go two and one in that stretch and Brian Fitzpatrick's playing well, I don't think Jameis Winston starts against the, the Bears. I think you see the Bucks hold him out as a as an as an additional punishment, knowing that they if Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing well, they could go in there and win. Now Jameis ultimately gives him the best shot at at making a run at the playoffs and he's a former number one overall pick, uh who just happens to have the three worst possible red flags you could have as a as a starting quarterback in the NFL who's looking to get paid. Uh recent Throwing shoulder injury, major off-field issues extending back to his days in college, and uh, played poorly for a large stretch of 2018 or 2017. Excuse me. I, th- I think a lot of people were expecting big things from Jameis in 2018. You know, he played well down the stretch. I certainly thought he might improve. I, I don't know. I don't know what you can expect now because remember how again you know, he's moving past the the appeal process, so maybe it won't be a as big a, a burden on him when he plays. And I use burden in probably the wrong sense, but you get the point. Like Zeke Elliott had to deal with being yo-yoed in and out of the starting lineup week to week to week. That makes it difficult to concentrate on doing your job, finding your routine as an NFL player and, and focusing in. Now for Jameis, he's going to miss the three games. He's going to come back. He's going to get asked a lot of questions and then he's going to disappear for two more weeks while they're on their bye. So I don't think it's going to be a huge problem for him in terms of focusing next year. He also said, by the way, that he, he is, uh, eliminated alcohol from my life was the actual quote, which is interesting because he didn't say he was sober. He just said he eliminated alcohol from his life. I don't know. Maybe I'm being uh, semantical there, but it, it seemed, it seemed like an interesting way to phrase it. And it, it, it's odd too that, you know, I don't think he, you know, he said he's grown up a lot in the last two and a half years, but again, he issued a statement in November 2017 trying to get out of it. So this all feels pretty fake in terms of the apologies that are being doled out in an attempt to to make amends or whatever it is. We'll see. You know, maybe he shows up and he plays well and the Buccaneers make a playoff run. That needs to happen for Dirk Cutter and Jason Light to save their jobs. If it doesn't happen, I, I think that you'll see a house cleaning in Tampa again the fourth or fifth time in the last – 10 years where, where the Glazers have come in and, and blown everything up. And, and then I think you got to look at James Winston's contract as a, a situation that is completely TBD. You know, right now you can't offer him a deal. You don't certainly don't want to, you know, James is not going to take whatever deal you would offer him, right? Like a, a one year, 15 million guaranteed while you're suspended, while you're suspended, um, we'll pay you 18 per year for five years and each year has a player option. And that's the only deal you could potentially even offer him, uh, because the PR hit would be so devastating if you signed Jameis Winston long term while he was suspended under the personal conduct policy for essentially, you know, copying to, to sexual assault. I mean, you, you can't do it. And I don't think the Glazers would sign off on it either. So, 
you pretty much have to wait until next offseason, see what happens with the team. You know, does the team win enough to save Dirk Cutter's job? Does the team win enough to save Jason Light's job? If it's a total disaster and they go something like two and 14, everybody's probably getting fired. I mean, that's the bottom line. I think, I think Jason Light's done a pretty good job building talent there, especially this offseason. And, you know, he's getting burnt by a, Perhaps taking Jameis Winston over Marcus Mariota, which could be interesting as well. Um, if Mariota in that Matt LaFleur offense plays really well and the Titans look good, you know, how does that reflect in the Jameis situation? Eh, not great. So there's a lot of layers of this. You know, Jameis still has a fifth year option that will be, that can be picked up in tw- for 2019. The Buccaneers can get rid of him. Don't have to, don't have to deal with it. If the, you know, it's, it's guaranteed for injury only and it wouldn't be stunning at all if they, if they ultimately you know, Jameis wasn't on the roster next year. I mean, if he if he goes out and lays an egg, and the Buccaneers go two and fourteen, and everybody's fired, they might just decide to reboot on on the on the quarterback position again. And I know you've seen plenty of people point. I mean, people point out, look, Josh Freeman looked great at various points in his career with the Buccaneers after being a first round pick, and he was discarded, and he's he's you know gone by the wayside. So it is, this is a major league career crossroads for Jameis Winston in terms of how he wants to handle this like a football player, how he wants to handle it like a, like an adult, how he wants to handle things like a man and, um, and how, you know, does he want to be responsible? What, what does he want to do? Does he want that long-term contract? Does he want to be with the Bucks? Um, you know, does he want to be an NFL quarterback? I mean, those are viable questions at this point in time, even, you know, even reading through his apology, which indicates that is what he wants. I don't know. There's a, a lot of questions to be asked about Jameis Winston, and I don't think they'll be answered until next offseason. Bucks aren't going to cut him now. He's too cheap, and he's still got upside. Still young, so 24 years old. Um, but uh, it's it's a crossroads. And week four, starting week four, we're going to find out uh, exactly what what Jameis Winston uh, wants to be made of. It's a pretty interesting storyline, but pretty displeasing outcome in terms of the NFL trying to utilize its its personal conduct policy because I mean what's the point if you're not gonna hammer if a guy admits to, to doing something and you've got him you've got you've got him on the hook, what's the point of not giving him the full six games? Um, I think you could also argue that Jerry Richardson, who was fined by the NFL two point seven five million dollars, also got off pretty lightly. Very uplifting uh, podcast today, right? A lot of jokes. No jokes. Jerry Richardson, uh, here's the release from the NFL. Commissioner Goodell announces findings in Carolina Panthers' workplace investigation. Allegations against Panthers owner Jerry Richardson substantiated. Richardson, and this to me is very interesting, Richardson fined $2.75 million to support organizations addressing race and gender-based issues and fund league-wide workplace training. To me, it's fascinating that the, the primary story behind this Richardson stuff has been gender related that he was um you know sexually harassing women or or uh using inappropriate workplace conduct towards females and yet Mary Jo White and the, the NFL led with race here it leads you there's it leads you to believe there's a lot more going on um from her findings than will actually be realized she did and look this is the same with the Jameis Winston thing too the NFL doubled down on this I'll give him credit for that you know if you've got a if you wreck two, if you, if you wreck your mom's car and your dad's car on the same day or, or on different days, tell them about it at the same time. You know, <laughs> rip the bandaid and the NFL did that. Um, from a PR perspective, that's kind of smart, but here, here's what, uh, White met with Commissioner Goodell 
and her to review her findings. And these are the findings as follows. Again, they're not releasing the full findings that we know of right now. They're not releasing the full letter to Jameis Winston. They almost always do that unless there's something they don't want you to know. They're doing it for both of them. They're not releasing it for both of them. First, this is from the the, the Richardson stuff. First, the review identified each of the allegations that has been publicly reported as well as similar matters that have not been the subject of public discussion. In other words, there's more here. Second, while the investigation was not limited to the matters that have been publicly reported and did not seek to confirm or reject the details of each specific allegation made regarding Mr. Richardson, it did substantiate the claims that have been made and identified no information that would either discredit the claims made or that would undermine the veracity of the employees who made those claims. In other words, the things said about Jerry Richardson are 100% true. Third, the improper conduct was limited to Mr. Richardson. No other employee of the Panthers is alleged to have engaged in such conduct, and the review did not discover evidence of similar conduct by other employees of the club. That's very good news for those people who now work for David Tepper, or will shortly, the man who bought the Panthers for $2.2 billion. Fourth, the investigation also confirmed that the Panthers and its ownership did not report the claims or any agreements to resolve those claims to the league office and that neither the league office nor the club's limited partners were aware of these matters until they become public in December of 2017. In other words, the Panthers organization covered for the owner um, up until it was exposed by Sports Illustrated. So there's some, some not too pleasant stuff going on there where everyone basically kowtowed to Jerry Richardson, Mr. as he liked to be called, and allowed him to run rampant for years, weeks, days, months, years, decades, who knows how long, in the Panthers organization. Again, look, they fined him $2.75 million. That's great because it's more than the NBA fined Donald Sterling when he was given a lifetime ban and and fined $2.5 million. That might not be a coincidence that the numbers are that close. Uh, but at the end of the day, $2.75 million for a guy who just sold his franchise for $2.2 billion is, uh, is, is, is not that big a hit. And it's great that this is going to go to, to various community um, organizations and charities. Beauty for Ashes Ministry, which provides faith-based resources and spiritual support to survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, and other trauma. It provides training for clergy and lay leaders in this issues. Black Women's Blueprint based out of Brooklyn and beauty for ashes is based out of Charlotte and then women of color network. Again, too, you know, too notable that there were two, um, two, two, you know, I mean, this is all female and appears to be racially based stuff. I and mean, it's very, it's very disconcerting about how Jerry Richardson acted in that office. And, um, you know, he, he's given $2.75 million to charity. He's probably taking a pretty big tax hit when he sells the Panthers for $2.2 billion in the first place. And now he is giving some, well, one would presume, some of that profit to a charity, which might might very well count as a tax write-off. I'm not saying it's a win for Jerry Richardson, but this is not a loss. I'm not sure what the NFL could have done to him. You know, he's he sold the team. It's over. You know, they can't they can tear down a statue if they want. They should do that. Get rid of that statue, man. Come on. Um Jerry Richardson brought football to North Carolina and South Carolina, and and he should be committed for that. But, you know, a bad man doing one good thing in the name of becoming really rich under the guise of giving people sports and a team to cheer for in a region that didn't have them doesn't really qualify you for sainthood. So, you know, let's get rid of the statue, guys. That's uh, that's That's the news from today. 
it all dropped. And again, it's with the news dump. Comes out the same day. The pan, the, by the way, the NFL dodged a major bullet that Jerry Richardson, uh, that this, that he sold the team to David Tepper before all this came out. Convenient. I'm sure that investigation really got ramped up once he sold the team. They couldn't have this happening with the sitting owner. It would be very ugly. And as such, they're in pretty good shape moving forward to find Jerry Richardson and let the new era of the Panthers sort of open up under David Tepper. A lot more clarity there than with Jameis Winston. All right, let's uh, let's go talk to Minka Fitzpatrick, former Alabama defensive back turned Miami Dolphins rookie. How's uh, how's things going in terms of minicamp and stuff, and you sort of figuring out your role in that defense? Um, it's good. Uh, no, the the minicamp OTAs it was just real good. Um, you know, I think I went in there, did what I had to do. Um, you know, I kind of established myself, put my foot in the door a little bit. Um, you know, so I'm still learning, still have a lot of things to work on. But um, you know, I'm just having fun with it, learning every single day. Um, just trying to get better. So you know, I'm excited uh, for camp to start up. I'm excited for for the season, and you know, just can't wait to see what uh, what happens moving forward. All right, I heard a story that um, when you were at Alabama and you would be banged up, the coaching staff would leave you on the field because they wanted you in there to be able to make the defensive calls. Is that true or false? Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know if you have that as a coach because uh, I, would always, I would always try and keep myself on the field. I would fight with the training staff and, and all them. Uh, I mean, uh, you talk to what not talk to, but I uh, got those uh, arguments with Coach Davis. <laughs> we want me out there sometimes, but um, you know, uh, I think they just knew. Uh, they just knew that I knew uh, the calls and I knew what to do. Um, so they just trusted me to make the calls, and they wanted me out there. Um, you know, I mean, they wasn't really on them. It was, it was more on myself. Just wanted to be out there, but they also knew that they, that I could make the calls, whether I be hurt or, or whatever. So, um, so I think it's a little bit of both. Do you, uh, I don't know how much you've talked with Adam Gase about this. I was just curious. Like, it seems like they're doing a sort of a reboot on the defense down there. Some of the older veterans are out. They're bringing in young talent. Is it, is there an onus on you to be a leader on that defense out of the gate as a rookie? Um, you know, talking to Coach Gase, uh, in the beginning of the, of the, of the, of the um, OJAs and, and Coach Burke, uh, the DC, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they just told me just to be myself. You know, you know, naturally, I am just a just a guy that that, that does what he has to do, uh, does his job. You know, and then people just follow. So if uh, they want to be a leader uh, and be myself, that's what I'm going to do. But uh, like I said, they just want me to be myself, do what I have to do, keep working hard, keep being disciplined, uh, being the man I am, uh, and then you know whatever happens, happens. And then um, yeah. Um, all right, if you had to pick one thing to do on a defensive play, and you can pick between being a safety, being an a outside corner, playing nickelback, blitzing, just getting inside and stuffing the run, hitting a runner out of the backfield, what's your favorite thing to do on a defensive play? Man, I said besides a pick six, that's like the easy answer. I would say, I would say getting the sack. Mm. Because... Just because I'm not supposed to be getting no sacks, you feel me? Like, when I get one, it's just that much more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like at Bama, we would, like, put in new plays and stuff like that. We were, we were running back once in a while. And, uh, you know, the, the D-line would be getting mad because we'd be like, man, you think taking a good <laughs> DB, you're supposed to be covering, not, not tackling the quarterback. So it would just be, it'd just be funny when, uh, when, I, when I'll get a sack or, like, rush a quarterback or something like that. Uh so, you know, I, I like doing that a whole lot. So. It seemed like watching film of you before the draft that you are an eager 
run stuffer too. Do you do you pride yourself on being able to, to tackle guys in the running game and to be able to limit what what runners can do and to and to be a, a consistent tackler in the in the receiving game as well? Yeah, I, I think that that that, uh, that helps me out a whole lot, especially uh, my versatility because you know if you want to play safety, you got to know how to tackle. Um, you got to know how to. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big hit. You have to be a big hitter. You just have to make make tackles, and, and that's it. So I think it's really important uh, just to know how to tackle. And, you know, I do pride myself on it. Um, you know, because tackling is something that you can choose to do, and then it's uh, a form to it. So you can work on it, get better at it. And, um, you know, it's just something that, that, that you should know how to do. So uh, I do pride myself on it and uh, work on it. Were you surprised to hear that your owner wanted to trade down from the pick where they used on you? And are you also motivated by that? Um, you know, uh, it did motivate me um, in, in, in a sense. I mean, I mean, anybody would, would be motivated by something like that. But uh, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Coming from uh, with, uh, with with saying that, you know, it's, uh, it was a business decision. And he's a businessman, so I respect him. Uh, he does a great job of what he does. So. Um, no, that's what he thought was the better decision. Uh, that's what he thinks, but I had to go in there, do my job, and uh, prove him otherwise. I, th- I think that first sack you get, or that first pick six you get, he may uh, he may be he may be thinking something a little bit uh, a little bit different. What is the first thing you bought after you signed your fir- your new contract? First thing I bought, um, uh, I got a I got a, a townhouse uh, here, um, and, and yeah, so he's got a house. You in, you in Fort Lauderdale or you in Miami? Yeah, Fort Lauderdale. Oh, nice. Right on. Uh, my, my CBS is based out of Fort Lauderdale. So I used to, are you down like Las Olas or anything? It's a good area. Uh, it's more towards Dania, Dania Beach. Okay, cool. Well, that's a good spot to be in, man. That's not a spot, that's not a bad spot to hang out for the, uh, for the foreseeable future. You also working with Gatorade and, uh, you got to surprise, uh, somebody for the, the Gatorade player of the year. How did it feel to give that kid the award? And, um, I'm curious, you know, when you, see younger kids who look up to a guy like you and, and all your success and getting to the NFL, can you, can you see it pop in his eyes with the excitement? Yeah, it's, it's awesome being, uh, being able to be a part of something like this because, you know, I'm sure he dreamed about winning this award, about, uh, about just being able to, to, to say that he wanted and sharing it with his family and his teammates. So, you know, just being able to be a part of that, uh, that memory is uh, really awesome, really special because I remember when I was, I was out his days and, and uh, you know, something would be a word or something, whether it be a teammate or a friend. Uh, you know, it would be a, just an awesome moment. So just being able to just be here, share the opportunity, uh, talk to him, uh, ask him questions, him asking me questions is uh, just a really awesome experience. Uh, what would be one lesson if you were trying to give one out to a young football player? What would, uh, what would, what would be the one thing you would tell them to focus on as they head into their career? Oh, I would tell any athlete. Football, track, soccer, whatever it may be, just don't don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to to you know just not be like everybody else. Uh, I think there's enough people, enough normal people in this world. I think, uh, the only way that you can bring change to the world is by being different. And uh, if you want to be the best at something, you can't be like everybody else. So uh, I think you know just just being uh, good at what you do. Whether it be a great man, a great brother, a great sister, a great, a great football player, a great track runner, whether, uh, whatever it is, I think that it's really important just to be different because, you know, it, uh, just, when you do that, you just separate yourself from everybody else. 
you know, we get a little too caught up in, in today, I think, too, trying to, it's like, oh, like, you have to be this in order to be this. And, and the reality is that if you embrace yourself and push yourself hard, you can be good at whatever it is you want to do in your own unique way, right? Um, all right, I'll get you out of here on this. You're in, you're in Miami. You're going to see a lot of delicious food. Are you a guac or queso guy? Are you a guac or queso guy? Oh, I'm more, I'm more guac guy. I'm not a big, uh, I, I like cheese, but I'm not a big cheese fan. You feel me? <laughs> you know, I do queso. So, but you know, guac. I got I gotta have that guac. Guac, guac is a sure top of me. I'm a, I'm a guac man myself. All right, Mika. Thanks for taking the time, buddy. Really appreciate it.